Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today as we continue our series called Six Acts, the Unfolding Drama of Scripture. And the goal of this series is simple. We want to take an overview of the whole Bible, like a 50,000-foot view, and see how it unfolds as one story, just one story about God and what he's doing in this world. Give you a quick recap. If you weren't here, um, you can catch up online, but here it is. Act one, we saw the creation of everything. God created all that there is. He spoke purpose into everything he created. He created humans we see in his image. We had a special, um, well, a special purpose to manage the earth on his behalf and be his stewards and just take care of all of creation under him, him being God, him being the king, and us being underneath of him. And so we were created to be like angled mirrors reflecting his goodness and um, his character and all that into the world, but also to sum up all the goodness and praises and, and sing it back to him because the only thing that's logical for created beings to do is, well, worship the one who created them. So God created humans to continue to do his good works. And that's when we come into act two. In order for us to be able to do good things, what does that automatically make us also able to do? Bad things. If you can do good, you have to be able not to do good. And we're introduced to act two, which is called the fall. If they're God created humans with, excuse me, God created humans with free will, which means we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to choose to live under him as he created and carried his works and purposes in this world. Or we can go our own way. We can be autonomous and want to live for our own purpose and our own meaning. And we saw that Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. And like Adam and Eve, many times we choose to do our own thing. And that's called what? Only four of you go to Sunday school. You should know that. That's called sin. You're like, I don't know. I've never experienced it, Brian. I've never sinned. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. But yeah, so we see sin. And sin ultimately is us being autonomous, wanting to be autonomous, wanting to do things our own way. And we see sin brought death and destruction into this world. Act three, we saw God initiate redemption by choosing this one man named Abraham or Abram. His name was changed later to Abraham. And we saw that he made this covenant with this one man named Abraham. He said the whole world, with a lot of other promises too, but the whole world would be blessed through him and through his family. We see through Abraham this nation of Israel coming, and they were given another covenant, the nation of Israel at the mountains, and they gave, were given 10 commandments, and along that, this covenant, the Mosaic covenant we call it, that if they do certain things, God will bless them. And if they don't do certain things, well, then the opposite of blessings going to happen to them. But we are told that the nation of Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests, this, this holy nation representing God in the world. The same thing that Adam and Eve were supposed to do. 
Represent God in this world. Be the light into the world to represent his goodness and his his character into the world. So we see Israel given this covenant that if they do this, this would happen. If they don't, well, bad things would happen. And then out of the nation of Israel, we see things not going well in Act 3. Things just aren't what they should be. There's this longing for this leader to come and get it right. That Israel knew that we aren't who we're supposed to be. Someone needs to fix it. We need the Messiah they were waiting on, the anointed one from God, to lead us to be the people that we're supposed to be. Curtain folds. Act 4. We see Jesus come into the scene. Jesus was, of course, we are told, God came down in human form, right? And Jesus was born. He upheld the law perfectly. He is how the New Testament writers tell us how the Abrahamic covenant came into being, how the whole world was going to be blessed through the nation of Israel. We find out that was through Jesus Christ. So he lived this perfect life. He obeyed all the laws, uh, fulfilled the Mosaic covenant completely but then also completely fulfilled the sacrificial system by dying on the cross for you and for me, which Alan did such a great job of talking about last week. Jesus died so we could live. And we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the climax to their story. He's the one Israel's been pointing to, the true redeemer, and how God would come down and take responsibility for our sins die upon the cross for you and for me so we can once again, check it out, live in harmony with God to carry out his purposes and his plans like he has asked human beings to do throughout the whole entire story. But what Jesus does, we're going to continue from last week, Jesus establishes a new covenant. Remember, we had the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, but Jesus comes in and now instills this new covenant. During the initiation uh, initiation of the Lord's Supper, uh, what you celebrated last week, he took the most symbolic and sacred meal, and he took their Passover meal, which celebrated what God had done in the past, where they're supposed to remember what he did. Jesus took that meal and reoriented around himself, and he says, now it's not about what God did, but what about I'm doing. He says this, Luke 22, 19 through 20. He says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant, right? That word covenant we've been talking about. This is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Jesus died. His blood was shed for us, and it was sealed. All covenants were sealed with blood. Jesus' new covenant is sealed with his blood. He said, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So the new covenant, this new way of relating to God, is now established by the blood of the Messiah so that you and I, we can have a relationship with God, the thing we were created to have at the very beginning. We can have a new relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Christ. And this is, we see the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham, and Jesus completely fulfilled the Mosaic covenant as well. And what we find, Paul tells us, is how all this works out is that the law, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic covenant was actually just a babysitter, it was a guardian for people. Look at what Paul says, Galatians 3 24 through 25. He says, Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian or babysitter until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. 
And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So followers of Jesus are under what's called the new covenant, established by Jesus on the cross. So you and me, we no longer need to do the sacrificial system. Anybody sacrificed a goat recently for your sins? No? None of you in Aina, really? I thought that's... No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, moving on. All right. So yeah, we don't do that anymore, right? Because of the new covenant. We are no longer, listen to this, we are no longer under and bound by the Ten Commandments or the Jewish law. That is not to say that the Ten Commandments are unimportant and we should throw them away. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we are no longer under that law. We don't have a relationship with God by keeping law. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Like that's a really big deal. Old Testament law, cool stuff. We have a relationship now because of what Jesus has done with new promises by Jesus. So here's the deal. If we're no longer bound by the old commands and we're no longer bound by the old covenants, Jesus must then have given us new commands. Like surely there's got to be some rule. There's got to be something that we're supposed to do if, if we're under covenants. Like God gives rules. God gives covenants. This is what he does. And Jesus does. But we've heard it so many times, it kind of washes over us. We don't feel the full impact and the full force of the idea of giving a covenant with a set of rules, a covenant with a set of rules, a covenant with law. But here Jesus is, he gives us a command too. Under the new covenant, here's your command. Next verse, Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new, say it with me, commandment. It's like, hold on, that's the Old Testament thing. Correct, here it is. Love each other. You're like, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. You mean that's my law? Yep. If you think it's easy, you've never tried it. Right? Like, it's not easy. But not just love. He says, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is what Paul then points back to and calls the law of Christ. The new commandment for anyone living in the new covenant is to love others. But love others as Jesus loved them in a self-sacrificial, self-giving way. Where it's not about your best interest, but about their best interest. Giving yourself for the benefit of other people. And this is groundbreaking, earth shattering and needs to rock you to the core as a Jesus follower. Like that is what you're supposed to do. You love others in the middle of 501 traffic in the middle of the summer. How good are you at that? Rocky's terrible. I'm not telling him myself. I'll just tell you how Rocky is. It's hard. Like doing things like, oh yeah, come on over, cut me off. I'm glad. It's, it's fine. You're probably more important than me. Yeah, loving others is not an easy thing. And so if we're commanded to love as Jesus loved, like, well, what does that exactly mean? I need a set of rules. I need a set of guidance. And Jesus is like, yeah, love. And it's hard and it's difficult and you got to work it out and you got to think about it. You got to like really work through situations in a loving way. And it's, and it's difficult. But that's our rule. That's our law. 
And as Jesus followers, we are on a self-discovery mission, discovering him, discovering ourselves, and discovering how to love people. Like, that's what we do for the rest of our lives. Work out loving other people the way Jesus did. And a shorthand way of saying all of this about Jesus being the Messiah, um, the new covenant and the new law, and all of that, a shorthand way of expressing this idea that God is ruling through Jesus, that there's a new covenant, there's a new law. Again, a shorthand way of saying all of this into one is the kingdom of God. Something if you read your Bible, they keep talking about over and over and over and over. You're like, I don't, what are you talking about? That's what it is. The kingdom of God. Jesus went around, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God, which is encompassing everything we just talked about. You see, Jesus went around and talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else in Scripture. That's the number one thing he talked about, the kingdom of God. He went around saying that God is establishing a new kingdom. Check it out, Mark 1, 14 through 15. This is Jesus' announcement. It says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. That's the gospel. He says, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent and believe. You see, Jesus' message centered around the kingdom of God coming to this earth. And for you and for me, when we hear the word kingdom, we're like, I don't live in England. doesn't matter to me. Our country was established by getting rid of kings. We don't want that anymore. Right? In America, king, kingdom, that's foreign to us. We've got to watch movies about the Middle Ages to think about that kind of stuff. But back then, if someone would have said, hey, there's a new kingdom, they'd have been like, are you, are you for real? That's a big deal. That's the way the world works. There's a kingdom. They would have instantly thought of, listen, this is important. They would have thought of four things when Jesus said there's a new kingdom. They would have said, well, who's the king? Oh, I got the questions right here. Kingdom questions. They would ask, who's the king? What land is involved? Where is it at? And are you taking mine? That's what new kingdoms wanted to do, take everybody's land. So they said, who's the land? Where is it at? They would have said, well, what's the new law? What am I supposed to do in this new kingdom? And what's required for citizenship? Or what's required for me to become a citizen? Or what do I need to do in order to be a citizen? Because what we know from back then is when a new emperor or a new king or new whoever took over, right? Think blood, swords, death, right? Fights, coups, all that kind of stuff. When there was a new empire, they couldn't tweet about it. They, the local news didn't start spreading at 6 o'clock. Hey, a new kingdom's been installed. Hey, there's been a, they didn't vote about it. So how did people find out that there was a new king? How did people find out there was a new kingdom? Someone else had taken over the capital. What they did is they sent people around to announce there's a new king. There's a new way of doing things. They would go around pro- proclaiming from town to town that something new has happened. Check this out. Luke 4, 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and they finally found him. They begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. So Jesus went around from town to town because he was proclaiming, he was announcing, there's something new. 
There's a new king. There's a new kingdom. There's something different happening in the world. And for us, this is foreign. But for them, it wasn't. This is what the news was. This is what Twitter did. This is how people found out about things. Jesus was going around town to town saying, there's a new kingdom. God has done something big. And folks, that is still what the church is supposed to do. Go around announcing there's a new king. There's a better king. And God has done something big. You see, the kingdom of God, this is for us to kind of bring all this together. Next slide. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. That's what it means. The rule of God is the kingdom of God. God's in charge. And the church, us, is the community under his rule. The church is the community under the rule of King Jesus. That's what we are. And folks, this is the same thing we've seen the entire time. Adam and Eve were created to live under God, to be his managers for all of creation. They failed. Israel was called to be a light into the world, to live under, the, to, to live under God. They didn't get it right. And then God comes back and takes charge, says, now I'm ruling through Jesus. And I want his people, the Jesus people, to live under his authority and be and live the purposes and plans that I've given humanity to carry out. You see, it's the same thing. It's not different. God is in charge working through people. And it looks different, but it's the same message, the same idea. But Jesus had did something different. And check this out. With him being in charge, because he's the king, well, look at what he says. Oh, next night he said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given, say that with me, all authority in heaven and on earth. All right, so we got to stop there because you can't think Jesus was just a good guy or he would be a lunatic. Like, like this is a crazy statement. I have all authority in the entire cosmos. Like I'm in charge of Jupiter, just to let you know. Like I, I have all, everything is mine. And back then and even today, if someone gets in charge, what do they usually do? Well, they always look out for the benefits of everybody else, right? Nobody is self-centered. Nobody's greedy. That never happens, right? Yeah, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And here's what he does with his authority. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, everything about me, I have all authority in the entire cosmos. And as Jesus followers, I want you to go love other people. I want you to go tell other people that God is in charge and has done something through the Messiah. I want you to go, and he sent his followers on a worldwide mission to save the world by just announcing about King Jesus, not to build empires, not to take over the world, not to kill people who believed in other religions, but he said to go and make disciples. Have Christians mess this up throughout the years? Sure. But this is what he said to do, to make disciples, to teach them about him, which is the new command, the new covenant, everything we brought um, together a minute ago. You see, baptizing is where people have to give their life to Jesus, right? So this is the idea of telling them about Jesus and then teaching them the ways of Jesus, what it means to truly be human. And he says, I'll be with you. You see, that is the marching orders for God's people. That is why we exist. Anybody living under King Jesus in his community called the church, this is what he has 
told us to do. Make and mature followers of him. And he told these disciples what this would look like. He said, here's how it's going to happen for y'all. He says, Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was radically clear for Jesus' followers they weren't supposed to stay where they're at, but take this on a worldwide mission. Did they accomplish it? We're here, aren't we? We are the ends of the earth. This stuff didn't happen in America. We know that, right? Yeah, the gospel spread. They took it all around the world, and now you and me, we know about Jesus Because they took this mission, they got on boats, they traveled around telling everybody about Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for people bringing the gospel to our lands, where we're from, where our ancestors are from, we wouldn't know about Jesus. You see, folks, that is what the church is about. And we need to continue this. The same announcement that Jesus had, that there's a new kingdom. With the same message, there's a new covenant, there's a new law, there's a new way of doing things. It's really an old way to love, but now we love like Jesus. Like all of that comes together crashing through what the church is supposed to do. You see, the church is not a social club. The church is not a place where you come and just hear a really amazing speaker speak every week. You're like, I don't know about that one. This one's a little dry, Brian. This one's a little dry. It's okay. But listen, the church is unlike any organization out there. We are kingdom people representing King Jesus and what it means and showing the world what it means for Jesus Christ to be in charge and what it looks like to love other people how he loved other people. You and me, we need to be active in making and maturing followers of Jesus which means we need to be growing in our faith. We need to be wrestling with tough things and working through it and helping other people wrestle with and work through those tough things. Because the church is the community, right? The community of God's people. It should be the safest and most exhilarating place on the place, on the earth, reflecting what Jesus did, telling others about what Jesus did. The world should see something different about us because of what we claim, that King Jesus has radically changed our lives. You see, God is no longer in the business of establishing nations, folks. He established the church, the community of God's people who come together under the rule of Jesus Christ, which means We no longer look to politicians to save us. They've tried that. Look at the Old Testament. It doesn't work. That's why the true king came and died for you and for me, which means the church, the community of God's people under King Jesus is the most important thing you can possibly give your life away to. It's the most important thing you could possibly serve. It's the most important thing you could possibly give to. It's the most important thing that you can spend time getting involved in, learning in, working in, and serving because we are God's people. That's what we claim. That's what being a Jesus follower means. And he expressly commands you and me to make the mature Jesus followers because the kingdom is the rule of God 
And we are the community. The church is the community under his rule. Next slide. And so right now, me and you, we are living in Act 5. This is what Act 5 is about, the establishment of the church, Jesus leaving, his followers spreading the good news, taking it all over the world. We are, we are right now in Act 5. And when you read the New Testament, you see the book of Acts and you see the letters that people wrote during that time, the establishment of the church and the messes in churches, right? We went through 1 Corinthians. We see all of that being worked through about this worldwide mission. And folks, you and me at First Baptist, we are to continue to be on a worldwide mission telling people about the king and about what he's done and what he's doing. We are living out the stories of Jesus right now telling people we've been created with the purpose to glorify God in all that we do. Now, you may say, well, Brian, okay, we got it, the church, I've been involved in church, what, what do we do? What, what does this look like? Because not everybody's called to be a missionary, right? Not everybody's called to go all over the world. Unless it's a really cool cruise, then we'll go, right? That was convicting, I know it was. All right, we'll go do this stuff for others and for ourselves, but when it comes to the message of Jesus, we're like, ah, that's too much. Is he your king? Is he God himself who came down in human form and died on a bloody cross for your sins and rescued you and redeemed you and said, come on. Now here's your marching orders. I've already given them to you. This is what I want you to be a part. Have we thought about that? He says, I want you to go. Well, the first thing all of us have to do is really, truly give our life to the king and understand Jesus is the Lord, the king who saves us. He is the one in charge. To be a part of his community of people, to become a citizen in his kingdom. Because like that was his message. That's what he shared. He told you how to become a citizen through him. The land is a worldwide mission. The new law is to love other people. And he's the king. He's in charge. Like He went around announcing and answering these questions. This is what it looks like to be a part of what I'm doing. And so you and me, we must first accept the king's offer. And this king... He doesn't send people out to die while he sits in a castle. This king goes before us and dies for us. That is crazy. And then says, come on, I'll save you. Come on, be a part of what I'm doing. So we got to give our lives to King Jesus, accept what he's done, and then be a part of his community of people, the local church. And again, that's far more than just showing up once a week. But it's about getting involved with other people. It's, it's, it's about developing community. And you're like, I know, but Christians are weird. That's okay, you are too. We're all a little weird. You ever noticed everybody else's family's weird, but yours is normal? Have y'all ever experienced that before? You're like, why do we have the only normal family? I bet they look at, right, we already know. We're all weird. But we get involved with the weirdness of people's lives and we talk to them, we help them grow and we're there for each other and we love each other because you need that and I need that, we need that. And it's centered around Jesus Christ. And like, we don't have to have anything else in common and we can get along because of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's amazing. We center ourselves around Jesus. We get involved in community and we give and support the local church. And so for Jesus, he gave his disciples the marching orders, me and you, all right? He make disciples. For those people back then, he gave them specific orders, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
And while we want to continue that ends of the earth thing, we want to be involved in missions, we want to be involved in giving to missions and supporting it, we know that we are the ends of the earth. Like, so we need to continue to spread the gospel. We need to continue to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And all of us have at least three areas of influence we can do this in. I just want to remind you this. You probably already know this, but these are the things that you and me, we should be working towards every day and making and maturing followers of Jesus. These are the three areas we should at least be telling people, spreading the gospel, living it out everywhere. The three circle influences are the family, work, and where we play. First up, the family. I love this quote. It's from Andy Stanley. He says this. He says, the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Right? And my mom was like, I know that's true because of my son, Brian. Like, I know that's, that's, that's the thing. I, I believe that's what she says. I don't know. Okay? But it may be someone you raise. That might be the most important thing you do. And we gave that quote out a few years ago on Mother's Day. It sits in front of me at my desk. It is so important. I love this quote. And this isn't an easy thing to do, but you are to raise up Jesus followers in your home. You are to influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a church and as pastoral staff, I want to let you know we want to help you disciple your family, help them grow into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it is not our job to do that. It is your job as a parent to do that. And husbands, you are to be the spiritual leaders of your homes. That's your charge. Take it serious. And you're supposed to be in charge like Jesus was in charge, loving people in such a sacrificial way they're enamored by your lovingness and want to follow you. Not the authoritative way that we see reflected. All That's not what that looks like. We love like Jesus loves. And so parents, raise up your kids to show them how important Jesus is. Parents, I beg you, please have spiritual conversation with your kids. Talk to them about the things of God. You're like, hey, that's weird for me. They don't know their kids. Everything's weird for you as a parent, but just talk, talk to them about God. Pray with them. Talk to them about the Bible. You, you want to have so many spiritual conversations and it wants to be so normal to your vocabulary that when your kids got it in the real world and they start hanging out with people who can't do that, they think it's weird. Like, oh, y'all can't talk about what Jesus is doing in your life? Hmm. My family did. Like, it's okay as parents and it's okay to say, I don't know to your kids if you didn't know that. They ask you those tough questions, which they all do. Send them to mama. Or if your mama, send them to daddy. I don't know. Send them to someone else. It's okay. Just like, I don't know. Ask your mom. It's a great question for her. But parents, please prioritize the thing of God, the things of God in the church, because the church will be a lot around a lot longer than their sports, than their school, their jobs or anything else they give their life to. And it's your responsibility as a parent to teach them the church is a safe place that the things of God are important and giving your life to the community of God's people is an important thing to do. And parents, here's the deal. It pains me to say this, but when your kids are 16 or 20 or 25 and you come and say, hey, Brian, I need you to fix this. We can't. You can't, if you neglect this stuff, you can't come to us later and be like, hey, I need you to fix this. We don't have a relationship with them. We don't know them and they don't trust us. And you've taught them their entire lives that pastors are people that now you just go and listen to. Build those relationships now. They will pay off later. 
And that's one thing, when, when I came to this church, one of the most amazing things about it, I'll tell you guys this, I've never said this out loud, I kept hearing stories about people having hard things going on in their lives, things that aren't necessarily the, the, the best things or the most acceptable things in society back then, and people would actually come running to this church because they knew they could find healing and love. That's amazing. How many times have you heard something's happened in a family and people leave the church because they don't want people knowing about it? They're like, I ain't going back there. But I've heard people come because of that. And I'm like, that's an amazing thing about First Baptist, and I, and I love that. But parents, it's your job to raise them up in the things of God and show them what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. But it is not your responsibility for them to get it right. I have seen kids raised in the most spiritual homes turn out to be great leaders of the faith and others in prison. I have seen people who came from extreme brokenness, raised up to be great leaders of the faith, great people on this earth, and I've seen others continue the cycle. It's not your responsibility what your kids do. You are not responsible for your kids' choices, but you are responsible for what you teach them. See, folks, Adam and Eve were created and put in a perfect, uh, excuse me, a world that had no sin. Adam and Eve were put in a garden with everything you could possibly imagine, all the food you could eat, all the video games they could play. I don't know if they had video games back then or not, okay? But they had absolutely everything they needed. God was their father, and they still chose to walk a different path. Folks, because of free will, we all have a choice. And your kids must choose Jesus on their own. You can't make them do that, but you can influence them towards it. And at the end of the day, you can just do the best you can. But some, so many parents are there owning the responsibility. They did their best. They raised their kids in the church, and they went a different path. And you need to let that go. Your kids have to make their own choice. They have to walk their own path. Just do your best at influencing towards Jesus Christ. So first, that we want to make immature disciples in our family. It's really important, folks. Number two, at work. I want to encourage you to be a light into your workplace because we spend so much time at work, so much time with these people. And you're like, yeah, but you don't understand how dark and terrible my, my people are. Great. Go be a light to them. You're like, I don't want to do that. I hear you. What else are you going to do? Like, be a light. Be the presence of Jesus. Show God's love in that tough environment. And I led, when I was a general manager, I led far more people to Jesus Christ than I ever have in church. Because I got to deal with people going through some extreme situations. People who just needed second chances. I was able to share the gospel. And I want to remind you that in your workplace, as a manager, as a worker, it doesn't matter. You can show and share Jesus Christ. You have a great influence there because you don't get paid to do it. Once you're a pastor, people are like, so you're paid to do this, right? Like, no, not tell you about Jesus. No, I don't, that's not what I get paid for. But if you're not a pastoral staff, you have far more influence with the people around you just telling them about Jesus and how he's changed your life. So give it a shot. Take the ethics and morals of your faith into the workplace. And then lastly, I want to remind you to take Jesus with you and be a Jesus follower where you play. Whatever those hobbies may be. Some of you spend far too much time on the golf course because you haven't invited me and you haven't taught me how to play very well. I'm really bad at golf. Anybody else? I would lose my testimony if I went and played golf with all of you, right? So I can't play golf anymore. It's not good for my spiritual health. But wherever your hobbies are, whatever you do, take Jesus with you. Like, did you know it's okay to have fun? 
It's okay to have hobbies. It's okay to enjoy life. And it's okay to take Jesus with you and be a light into those places. These are areas of influence that all of us have, especially you have kids and you're at the ball field all the time. You feel like you live there. Anybody else feel that way? Just me? Okay, three kids. Sometimes you feel like you just, you might as well put a tent up and just sleep there. It'd be far easier. But take the gospel with you into those environments, which means, yes, if you're going to tell them a Jesus follower, you need to behave yourself, folks. Not yelling at the refs and things like that, but build relationships with, those other, with other people. Tell them that you're a Jesus follower. Like, it's okay to enjoy and live life. God created us for that. But it doesn't mean we neglect the spiritual. We neglect Jesus because of it. We just take them with us. We be Jesus followers there. We be the light into these places. And tell people and share the good news of what Jesus has done. Because we are in Act 5. We are living as Jesus people with the command to make and mature followers of Jesus. And that continues through the local church. We are the community of Jesus people. Living under his rule. Learning what that looks like and then taking it out, spreading the good news. Like he did and like he's asked us to. So let's be the church. Start in your family. Take it at work. And also will you pray? I meant where you play. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our King, our Lord and Savior. Father, as kingdom people, as your followers, we just ask you to help us take our faith into our everyday lives. Help us live with purpose, bringing you glory and making your name known among everyone. Because, Lord, we know you truly are worth it. Lord, help us live on fire for you spreading the gospel, being trained up in your ways and helping other people live into the calling you've personally placed on their lives. Heavenly Father, as a church, we ask for your guidance and direction on how we can continue to reach this community with the gospel. Help us individually and corporately make a difference in the lives of others by helping them find Jesus. It's in the precious name of King Jesus we pray. Amen.